your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. Now, 30 years after the meltdown, the disaster triggered by the Chernobyl disaster, you may have heard in the last couple of weeks plans afoot to turn this radioactive wasteland into one of the largest solar energy plants that could possibly be conceived, really, on this planet. The Ukraine government announcing a plan to do this. Um, in terms of scale, the environment minister said the 1,000 square kilometre exclusion zone has good potential for renewables. But there is another story here as well. Let's bring in Professor Robert Ortung from Elliott School of International Affairs at the George Washington University. Good morning to you from Seoul. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for joining us. So... We already got the announcement last year from Ukraine that it would invest $3 billion worth of money into solar power plants and increase renewables by a certain percentage uh, to reach actually 11% overall, which is substantial. What's the reason for that? I think the main reason is that uh, Ukraine is basically fighting two wars and they both involve energy. The first is, of course, the actual war with Russia and re Ukraine relies heavily... Uh, for its energy on Russia, and so the more that it can build up its renewables, the less dependent it'll be on uh, its eastern neighbor. The second war is against corruption in the country, and a lot of that corruption is coming from the energy sector. So the more that they can switch over to new modern forms of energy and away from um, hydrocarbons, the better off they're going to be. Yeah, I, I'm just briefly, that, that latter point may be simpler to answer, but uh, is, is there not a fear that that sort of corruption would also just filter on into the renewable sector? Well, yes. I mean, if you look at Ukraine, almost every sector of the economy is um, completely corrupt. <laughs> but, but the energy sector is particularly difficult because uh, they've been able in the past to get uh, relatively cheap energy from Russia, and then the government uh, covers the cost and then sells it to the consumers. And so basically the old system was ripping off the state uh, in helping the oligarchs and, and giving people cheap energy. Uh, I think a newer system would be able to eliminate that state function and focus it much more on the private economy, so that would help to eliminate the corruption. Even with the scale of this solar power plant that would apparently benefit from intact power lines already, um, a decent amount of sunshine... Are we looking at an unrealistic answer to Ukraine's energy needs, or can this be a long-term solution? Well, um, solar power, of course, is, is just a very new technology, and currently it's only a couple percent of the world energy supply. So it's going to be a long time before solar is an effective way to replace natural gas and oil. But it makes sense for Ukraine to invest heavily in this area. The technology is improving. Uh, in 2015, for example, it was the first year when we saw lower, you know, very low oil prices, and at the same time, people are increasingly turning to solar power. So solar installations, for example, in the United States are going up dramatically, even in the face of the low oil prices. So it makes sense for Ukraine to find this kind of alternative solution. Yes. Uh, and coming back to the political situation, 
we, we understand that tensions have been rising again. There's been a spike again uh, after a couple of years um, of the story fading as far as the international media agenda is concerned when uh, Russia annexed the Crimea. What is the current situation? Well, the current situation is quite tense. Um, people talk about a frozen conflict, but in fact, it's really a war of attrition. Nearly 10,000 people have died uh, in Ukraine as a result of this conflict, and, and the fighting goes on every day. Every day, a few more Ukrainian soldiers are killed. So I think the situation is quite tense. Uh, but inside Ukraine, you also have another situation when that even though they're fighting a war against their neighbor, they haven't really been able to introduce real economic reform. So you have a continuing state of political disarray, and the country is quite weak politically and hasn't really been able to reform um, enough to defeat Russia. So it's kind of a standoff. Yeah. Uh, could the U.S. play a significant role here, uh, even if renewables can't supply energy going forward, if, if Ukraine wants to lessen that reliance on Russia amid sanctions and so on, uh, would shale gas, for example, be an answer from the U.S.? Uh-huh. Well, I don't think the U.S. Would, would ship shale gas directly to Ukraine, but uh, by providing more shale gas to U.S. customers, that frees up a lot of natural gas on the world markets. And so, you know, the, the, the main point about natural gas is that it's not a, a global market the way oil is. You know, oil can float around to whatever country needs it or wants it. Yeah. Uh, natural gas is mostly shipped by pipelines. And so um, that, that in, and to transport it by ships, you have to lower the temperature and send it across the ocean. So that, that really reduces the um, mobility of natural gas. So it's not the same as oil. But... I think that the shale revolution is important because it did create a lot more gas supply and that sort of reduces the pressure on Europe. Europe can find new sources and, and the price is going down around the world. If indeed Ukraine is likely to face an energy crisis, what impact would that have, again, with the political situation but also with the country's basic needs? Well, the main energy crisis for most Ukrainians is that the government is raising the price that they have to pay to heat their apartments. And so that's obviously a very unpopular move uh, among the people, and the government's been reluctant to do that because it's going to be so politically unpopular. But that's a necessity. They have to bring, the Ukrainian government has to bring the price that people pay for their energy up to the actual cost of that energy so people will have a strong incentive to start saving energy. Ukraine is one of the most energy inefficient countries in the world in the sense that it wastes a huge amount of energy. So the people initially are going to have to pay a higher price for their energy, and that's going to uh, cause them to start using their energy more wisely. So it's a very difficult uh, transition to make, and obviously the government's been reluctant to do it because it's going to be unpopular, but it's necessary. And so that I think will ultimately reduce the amount of money that uh, and the amount of energy that Ukraine spends on energy and, and, and the amount of energy that they're going to have to import from abroad. And so it's going to make them much more energy efficient and therefore much more um, uh, secure in terms of their uh, military situation in terms of the political situation. Uh, as you say, with troops being killed every day. It's, a, it's been a very challenging scenario for the country, but the world's attention has, to a certain extent, moved on um, since the, the height of 
interest with that annexation of Crimea. Thank you so much, Professor Otung, for placing that all in context for us and for giving us an overview of the situation facing Ukraine right now. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Professor Robert Otung, George Washington University. Our email's open to you if you want to have your say on this or any other subjects this morning. EFM this morning at gmail.com.